welcome passionate football fans to another exciting episode of The Skillet. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you with us today. You know, your support fuels our love for this beautiful game, and we're just ready to dive into all the latest news, analysis, and thrilling moments of the world of football. So grab a drink, kick back, and let's go ahead and celebrate the world's most beautiful sport together. I'm your host, Brandon Bogan, alongside with me, as always, my co-host, Josiah Moreno, and together, we are The Skillet. Let's go! What's up, everybody, and welcome back to The Skillet, the football podcast with some hot topics and even hotter takes. We are here back again right after the Thursday night football game uh, with the Vikings at Eagles. A lot to talk about, lots of highs and lows for both teams, um, but kind of of what everybody expected for the most part. I I think a lot of people had the Eagles edging out in that win, but Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely some topics that that we need to cover. Si, what, what did you think of the game? Um, first and foremost, obviously, I think, like you said, it went a, a bit like it expected. You know, the Eagles were going to try and come out and control the line, and scrim- line of scrimmage like they always do uh, and test that, you know, Minnesota front. Minnesota, the last few years, has not been, you know, one of the stronger defenses. So I knew that, you know, the Eagles were going to try and grind it out, which they did. But as you were, we were talking about it before, you know, we jumped on here. The Vikings had their chances, especially in, in the, you know, the first half. A lot of, you know, miscues, um, some that fumble from uh, Kirk Cousins, and then also, you know, Jefferson going in right before the half on that two-minute drive. That's a 10-point swing there, you know, on that touchback because I know they could have went up, I think, three or four points going in to score at the end of the half, which would have been a big mo- uh, momentum booster. And, and instead, it ends up, you know, the Eagles get the ball at the 20-yard line, and in, I think, 31 seconds, they got into a – jake elliott field goal range so yeah that's that's a that's a backbreaker there especially at the end of the half i know nfl coaches talk about those eight minutes you know the first the last four minutes of the first half and then the first four of the second half kind of sets the tone of what you're going to be able to do in the second half and i think the the vikings kind of they mishandled that a lot a lot of missed opportunities there and it ended up costing them yeah, absolutely. I think in order for the Vikings to have won this game, they they had to have jumped on the Eagles early, and they definitely had the opportunities to do so. I mean, um, really early on, you had the Alexander Madison fumble when they were mm-hmm. moving the football, and then you have Kirk Cousins getting sacked, which the Eagles, they did a fantastic job of, of creating a lot of pressure for Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Um, we know that Kirk Cousins get hit gets hit more than most quarterbacks in the NFL, but he, he kind of toughs it out. But they, they just really weren't able to create any sort of rhythm. I mean, they couldn't run the football. They Once you start to become one-dimensional, it, it starts to become a little bit easier for the defense to yeah. stop you. And talking about Vikings defense as well, they just really had a hard time stopping the run. I mean, I think yeah. they had they had a game plan on to stop Devontae Smith and to stop um, A.J. Brown, AJ but Brown. They, they forgot about – DeAndre Swift and he actually had an absolutely amazing game with 175 Uh rushing yards which is um we know DeAndre Swift is is good you know he was always good with um the Lions but he just always had a hard time staying healthy so it's always definitely good to see him out there um and performing the way that he typically does And, and let me ask you this Bogues I mean just right off the top of my head this question comes to mind 
now that we saw, I mean, I think he rushed for 170 yards and a touchdown and he looked, you know, really explosive and shifty out there. I think that's an element to his game that, you know, the other running backs like Kenneth Gainwell and, and uh, Boston Scott really don't have. Do you think that he kind of takes over the reins here? Did he, did he shift, you know, from being that number one back or are they going to input Kenneth Gainwell back into that, that number one spot as soon as he comes back? I think I think after this game he definitely should be the number one back in Philadelphia. Um, he's got that explosive ability; he could take it to the house on, on any play, and he definitely has more upside than a lot of the running backs that the Eagles currently have. Um, yeah, but they're definitely not going to shy away from running back by committee. I think when yeah. when Gainwell comes back, he'll still get his his touches. Um, Penny looked pretty good coming back. He he didn't get a touch until the second half, but I think that's just part of the strategy in Philadelphia to try to get some fresh legs going in, in the game. And yeah. honestly, I don't really think it matters who's running the football behind that yeah. big old line because I mean they looked good. It was just an old school football type of game. Um, running that quarterback sneak on on every fourth and one, third and one. It's just it's tough to stop, and I think it's really demoralizing on a defense when when you can't stop the run. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, to your point earlier, I mean, the Vikings really didn't get the Eagles out of their comfort zone at all. I mean, I know, they, like you said, they had a game plan to stop, you know, their big playmakers, A.J. Brown, uh, Devonta Smith. But at the end of the day, the Eagles are going to come out, and I know we were talking about this. It's kind of a old-school, boring sometimes to look at, but it's really effective and hard to stop. And and it's hard, you know, when, when the Eagles are rushing for, I think they were averaging over four yards of carry for most of the night and doing whatever they want with, you know, J, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, DeAndre Swift. I mean, there's no reason why they would have to air it out when, when you're dominating the line of scrimmage and uh, you can control the game like that. So yeah. when, when the Vikings couldn't jump out early, it just seems like, you know, you're just playing right into their hand throughout the game. You're wearing out the defense, and then you can't even get on the field. I think they got on the field. There was about five minutes left, and then uh, they got a, They took a, a long time to score, and at the end, you know, they had to work on an onside kick or something like that, and that just doesn't always play out. So the Eagles right. just went in and dominated, and, and they played to their game plan. And another interesting point here is now in one-score games, I think the Vikings were in 11-0 and last year. And now they're 0-2 to start off the season this year. I don't know if this counts as a one-score game. It, it ended in a one-score, but now yeah. they're 0-2. So they're, they're not executing the same way they were last year. Are you worried about the Vikings at all? I am a little worried, to be honest, just because how one-dimensional they were. I think if you're putting the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands and he's throwing the football 30, 40, 50 times a game, I think that's a recipe for disaster. That's not a mm-hmm. dig on, on Kirk Cousins at all. But I think last year when they had a, a running back like Dalvin Cook and that could also help complement with Alexander Madison, it, it helped yeah. take a lot of the pressure off of Kirk Cousins. But it looks like they're they're really turning into like an air raid offense. I mean, yeah. they're they're throwing the ball a whole lot. I don't know if that O line can can hold up for a very long time. So I would be a little bit worried if I were the uh, the Vikings. Now, maybe they, I don't know, worst case scenario, they have a terrible season and maybe they get the first pick in the draft next year and get Caleb Williams. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's talking talking crazy. I think they're going to win a few <laughs> games, but it, it doesn't look good for the Vikings right now. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people expected, you know, just from last year, Alexander Madison, you know, when he was asked to come in and fill in 
for Dalvin Cook a couple games. He he usually was able to handle that workload and perform pretty well. But this year, uh, it's been a little bit different. I know he struggled with those fumbles today. He lost one in the first half, and then in the second half, he he lost one. But there was a penalty that that you know negated that. But he looks like, and they don't really have another guy to compliment him either. So there's a lot on his shoulders and I don't know if he has, you know, the adequate talent and just, uh, you know, overall, you know, stamina and big playability to be that guy for Minnesota, especially because we know Kirk cousins, he's, he's a good, we're going to say he's a good quarterback. We know we're going to get from him, but at the same time he he needs help and he he gets put on his back a lot. He takes a lot of, you know, takes a lot of beatings uh, throughout the weeks. And I think, as they move further and further away from that, you know, balanced attack, we're going to see the Vikings, you know, kind of struggling and, and uh, it could be a recipe for a disaster, but you know, the Eagles got the W they, they went in and executed their game plan more. And I think that's all it really came down to it for, for this night. Yeah. No, the Eagles looked good. I think it, it took them some time to get into the groove. I, I think the Eagles are, are not yet the Super Bowl caliber team that they mm-hmm. were last year, but I think they definitely have a lot of room for improvement. I think they're still kind of trying to find their identity a little bit, yeah. but maybe they kind of found it today in, in, in the, yeah. the rushing attack. Like that, that was their bread and butter last year, but it, it did take Jalen Hurts to, to get, it took him some time to get comfortable. You know, he did throw a pick in the first half that was kind of like a head scratcher. Um, didn't really know what he was seeing there. So I think if, if a team can get off on a hot start, make Jalen Hurts uncomfortable, I think that's how they're going to beat the Eagles. They don't they don't look like world beaters yet. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I think, especially when they're facing Dallas, they're really going to have to look a lot sharper, especially with the the front seven that, that Dallas has. Yeah. But um, that, that's kind of a good transition for, for our next few topics. So, um, okay. We also wanted to jump into the power rankings. We don't want to spend too long going on over all 32 teams, but me and Saya are going to go through a really quick uh, yeah, top seems- 10 that we believe um, just based off week one. So it could be yeah. uh, just based off week one. We'll go into a quick top 10, and then we'll also talk about some some way too early MVPs. So uh, Saya, okay. you want to, want to take over from here? Yeah, so obviously this you know week one, there was a lot of surprises. A lot of good teams didn't do really well. I was driving, you know, home yesterday from work and I was just, you know, talking, thinking about the podcast and I was like, man, the chiefs, they lost. So, Oh, and one, you know, Buffalo bills, Oh, and one Cincinnati Bengals, Oh, and one. And, uh, and just a lot of, you know, of the good team struggled this week. And so it was when I was, you know, doing this power ranking, I want to do top 10 and seeing where, you know, I would fit people don't want to jump anybody too high and people, you know, you don't want to hit the panic button after week one. So I kind of arranged it in that way to where reacting, obviously, to what happened in week one, but not overreacting at the same time. Because I yeah. think over the course of the season, people are going to correct those issues and the good teams are going to end up prevailing. Um, there was a lot of good matchups. So just to kind of round out my top 10, I got, you know, the Ravens at number 10. Uh, obviously, I think they did really well. They like same like the Eagles. They stuck to their game plan with their running game by committee. Lamar Jackson didn't have the greatest performance, but he still was able to manage a dominant win. Yes, they played the Houston Texans, but you know when you play a bad team in the NFL, it's hard to dominate all the time. And they came out and did exactly that. At number nine, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think you know they showed a lot of guts. You know, in a Week One matchup on the road, having to go to Indy and they were down early and. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, heated up in the second half, and they also got ETN and that uh, 
addition of Calvin Ridley really helped. So I got them at number nine. Number eight, I dropped the Cincinnati Bengals just because you got to react to week one, but I still think they're a top 10 team. They'll probably be able to creep up as they fix those things. Uh, same problems, you know, protecting Joe Burrow has always been their Achilles heel. I'm sorry to use that verbiage for this uh, episode, but <laughs> too soon, we don't, man. yeah, too soon. But uh, that's just, just been the thing that, you know, they've struggled with. So once they can show that they can get back to form and utilize all their weapons, I think they'll be all right. Number seven, Buffalo also. I don't really know what to say there. Josh Allen looked a little bit lost, so I think he'll get you know everything together, but I'll put them at number seven here because they did play a tough defense. At number six, the Detroit Lions. Uh, I don't think we were expecting them to be this high uh, so early, but like we talked about in our last podcast, I think they're for real and they have a good coaching staff and overall roster. Number five, this is probably number one to start the season for a lot of people. I got the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, they were missing Travis Kelsey, uh, their best player on offense, who's not named Patrick Mahomes. And then uh, Chris Jones on defense, their best defensive player was missing. So I cut them in a little slack and put them at number five. Number four, the high-flying Miami Dolphins. Tua looked really great. Obviously, you know, those were the questions last year that everybody has with Miami is they're going to go where Tua takes them, and I think he looked really sharp week one. Their defense, you know, they're playing the Chargers on the road, so... It is hard to contain them, but they made enough plays to, to get the W. And number three, this one pains me to say I'm still, you know, trying to lick my wounds. Obviously, I'm a Giants fan, and we got <laughs> we got whooped. A lot of the Cowboys fans are already talking about Super Bowls over here, so I got the Cowboys at number three just because I think still the same questions. It was a weird game, but overall their defense dominated, and uh, Dak Prescott didn't have an opportunity to show how much he's improved just because the Giants – literally handed that game in a platter and their defense was all over the field. So they're, they're right up there at number three. Number two, I got the Eagles just because, like I said, they're still looking to to find their identity. But uh, we know what we're going to get with the Eagles. And roster overall, I think they're the most complete roster behind this number one team, and that's going to be the San Francisco 49ers because the main question I had about the Niners was Brock Purdy, and he answered that with a resounding yes his first week. So – I think they have the most complete roster, defense, offense, and I'm going to put them number one in my first power rankings in week two. Okay, okay. I, I like it. I like, I'm like. i actually surprised, to be honest with you. I thought we were going to um, have a lot of the same power rankings, but we're yeah. we're actually pretty different. I think we only got okay. one one the same here. We're not far off, though. So nice. I, I, I like it. I definitely like it. I'm going to go through my top ten, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about uh, – Talk, kind of talk about the differences here. So okay. at 10, I kind of was going back and forth. I'm going to throw an honorable mention for the New York Jets at 11 because I thought that they are still a, com- a complete team. I think with Zach Wilson, I know it sucks that Aaron Rodgers is gone, but with Zach Wilson, we're yeah. still going to see a pretty competitive team uh, depending on the run game and a, a very, very strong defense. So honorable mention to the New York Jets. Number 10, I got the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, purely based off what we saw in week one, they just looked like a team that doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what we're going to get out of Joe Burrow. We know what we're going to get out of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and, and then that defense, but they're they're not there yet. We They typically struggle week one. They've struggled like this in the past two weeks, so it's nothing to be to be afraid of, but I think there's nine other teams right now that just look 
more competitive. They just look better. So I'm going to keep the Jet, uh, the Bengals at, at 10. Number nine, I got the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Miles Garrett was crossing over the offensive line. The defense looks very stout. And I think they're, they're going to give teams um, a lot of trouble, especially as, as Deshaun Watson gets more comfortable and, and starts to get going a little bit more. I think their offense will be the the weaker part of that team, but I think their defense is going to take them very far this year. Yeah. Um, number eight, I got the Buffalo Bills. It was a tough, tough loss for Buffalo. I, I think they still could have edged it out if Josh Allen wouldn't have made so many mistakes. They they can easily be number one this year, but they they got a lot of stuff. And and Josh Allen is, is making mistakes that a six year quarterback really shouldn't be mistaking uh making. And that that's that says a lot for someone of his caliber. So I mm-hmm. think he needs to figure it out big time. Um number seven, I got the Miami Dolphins. You're, I think you're right. Tua looks amazing. I think Tyreek Hill is going to have another big year this year. And I think um, the defense is looking stout as well. So that definitely could be a team that could give people a lot of problems down the stretch and could also look at, at winning that division. I know it's going to be a tough division yeah. with the AFC AFC East. Is that, is that the division? Yeah, they're in the AFC East. Yeah, so I think, that's a t- I think that's you know probably up there with one of the better divisions in football this year for, for sure. sure. For sure. No, they look good. Um, that's a toss-up, but as of right now, it looks like the Miami Dolphins look like the better team coming out of that division. At number six, I got the Baltimore Ravens. Um, okay. that, that's another team that I think they're also looking to find their identity. Zay, Fa- Zay Flowers looked electric over the weekend, and I think as he gets more comfortable, he's going to be a, a legit problem in the NFL. Um J.K. Dobbins was a big loss. It really, yeah. really hurts to see that he got hurt again. Um, hopefully, he can get healthy and, and get back to where he was because he just always yeah. had so much potential, and it's just every that was year. It, it we we hate to see that happen, but their defense looks good. Roquan Smith is flying around the field. If um, they stay healthy, that's going to be another team that's going to be hard to beat. Um, and number five, I have the Detroit Lions. Now, okay. offensive lines are going to be the best in the league. They're going to have a really, they're going to have a good time running the football on just about every single NFL team that they they come against. But the Lions look really, really good, and I think they're going to go as far as um, as um, Goff will take them. Now, number four, I got the Kansas City Chiefs. They still have Patrick Mahomes, and as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have a chance in in this league. They are going to get it together. Their wide receiver are going to start catching the ball. And when they get Travis Kelsey back, once they get Chris Jones back, then they're going to be an absolute problem. Yeah. But there are just three teams right now that just have overall better rosters that just have a lot of talents everywhere. So at number yeah. three, I got the Eagles. They're a team that's just not jowling right now, but they're going to get it together. I think they they know that they have to run the football. And again, as long as that O-line stays healthy, they're, they're going to be able to control the games their front seven is some of the best in the league. Uh, Jalen yeah. Carter, it might have uh, might have a go at defensive rookie of the year because he's an absolute menace on the line. Okay. And at number two, I got the Dallas Cowboys. So they could arguably be number one, and I think the biggest um, the biggest dr- like draw to the Dallas Cowboys from being number one compared to the San Francisco is going to be the quarterback play. I'll go as far as to say that Brock Purdy is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. 
Now, I don't know. Maybe Brock Purdy has better weapons. You know, I mean, Christian McCaffrey compared to Pollard. You got CeeDee Lamb compared to Debo. We we can go back and forth. The 49ers might have the edge on that just because of the offense. As far as defense is concerned, the Cowboys may have the best defense in the league. And that's only because of, of Micah Parsons right now. He's yeah, absolutely Micah Parsons. I mean, I I advocated a long time ago. The Giants were the eleventh pick, and uh, they traded to end it back to get Kadarius Tony. And I knew right then and there when we let that guy go to Dallas that he was going to be giving us you know a lot of headaches for years to come. And he even you know turned out better than I would have expected. But man, it's it's good to see. I mean, I mean, we did differ a little bit, but at the same time, you know, it gives us something to talk about. On that, the only the only thing with the Detroit Lions, like I said, I don't. It's just so high. With like to to be talking about the Detroit Lions in a top ten in the NFL, that seems almost you know like taboo. To have them, you know, in the top five, which they're good, and I'm thinking like, wow, like we're actually talking about the Lions this year in the in the top ten, which just seems yeah. so far to left field. All of a sudden, maybe it's have they arrived? Maybe it's wishful thinking. You know, I, I yeah. feel like out of everybody, any NFL team we wouldn't mind the Lions winning a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like out of everybody, I would hate to see the 49ers win a Super Bowl. I would hate to see the Cowboys win a Super Bowl, for yeah. God's sake. So let, I think everybody's rooting for the Lions. I think it's just an easy team to root for. But they are good. I mean, yeah. like I said, the the games are won in the trenches. And as long as you have a good offensive line that can pound mm-hmm. the rock, I think you're going to be okay. So as long as you guys stay healthy, as long as Jared Goff can – can protect the football he doesn't have to be the mvp he doesn't have to be special but he just has to protect the ball and and, and move the ball most especially uh, more importantly so they yeah. could definitely be a sneaky team there are definitely four more teams that are just better right now just better rosters better quarterback play and i didn't even put jacksonville in my my top 10 and you you had them yeah at, at nine yeah i had jacksonville top 10. and then with the browns same way i felt you know them being a top 10 team. I had them, like you said, I, I I did my whole power rankings, but obviously we're doing top 10 here. I had the Browns at number 12, edging out the Jets. The only thing with the Jets after the Aaron Rodgers situation, I think the Jets have a you know top five NFL defense. Uh, they showed that against, you know, supreme talent with Josh Allen and the, the Bills. But uh, I would just give the edge to the Browns there. And then I got the Chargers right on the at 11. So... Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, Apple Storage, the only thing with the Jets is Zach Wilson now is going to be the quarterback. So that's a big, you know, loss in what they were expecting. Can he grow? There's a lot of questions around them, you know, just being thrust in because I think that that helped him with Aaron Rodgers coming in the offseason, pushing him. And sometimes, you know, freaking things happen in the NFL, obviously with his Achilles injuries. And it might have been a wake-up call for Zach Wilson to, you know, be behind Aaron Rodgers just for a little bit and uh, kind of put that chip on his shoulder. So maybe he'll come out, and if if he improves, I could see the Jets moving up too into my top 10 pretty yeah. soon. I, I like Zach Wilson. I think he has the tools to be a good quarterback. I think he just gets rattled too easily. I think the pressure yeah. gets to him, and especially yeah. as soon as he found out that Aaron Rodgers went down, it, it, it didn't look too good, you know what I mean? So I, mm-hmm. I think he just needs to get confident. They're going to rely heavily on Brees Hall and, and Dalvin Cook running the football. But I definitely want to see Garrett Wilson still have the the big year that everybody was anticipating as well. So, 
yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch and just some and, got pretty good games coming up and one more thing you know just looking at our top 10 here because i got yours you know right next to mine going into the season i know a lot of people expected we kind of touched on it a little bit is that the nfc was um gonna be a little bit weaker of a conference than the afc but after looking at week one a lot of those top afc teams really struggled yeah and then the nfc teams look very dominant i know we talked about the 49ers steelers matchup you know the eagles the the cowboys they have really good rosters everything like that you know what the difference is on these two uh, these two conferences i think the nfc has the more complete teams but the afc Mm -hmm. has the better quarterback play like you still have to go through Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, yeah. Justin Herbert, like the elite of the elite guys. Joe Burrow is a problem as well. Lamar Jackson. So the NFC, they have talent in every other position. It's just the question marks are going to be the quarterbacks. I mean, I think the exception would be Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah. Jalen Hurts is, is kind of a different guy. I, I wouldn't say he's the best passing quarterback in any way, but he can create in, in different ways he's a very dynamic quarterback and once he's in that zone he's he makes very good decisions as well so i think out of the there's NFC, that's why the eagles kind of have that edge yeah and there's not a lot of quarterbacks like jalen hurts i mean we have lamar jackson's of the world and justin fields but somebody you can line up in the in the backfield and kind of run as a fullback type running back right up the middle and then also can throw you know 50 60 yard bombs there's not really an NFL quarterback like him. So he's a perfect fit for that Eagles, you know, offense and the way they want to run things. So, yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Obviously, it's week one, so you can't overreact, underreact to a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to keep using that term because, you know, like I said, the Giants, <laughs> yeah. after going down 40, you know, 40-0, I don't think I've ever seen a game like that as a Giants fan. So I'm barely crawling out of hiding from that. <laughs> so I'm hoping that a lot of things change after week one. There's a football left to be played man yeah so we're gonna we're gonna finish up this last segment with some uh, way too early mvp picks i'm gonna go ahead and, okay. and, and start it off um just because we've already been talking about him a little bit as well i got two guys that i that i want to bring up both of them might be a little far-fetched i would yeah. say but I, I got reasoning to to pick both these guys the first one i'm gonna choose what, again this is way too early mvp picks so it's just going based off week one and okay. I think someone that we can possibly throw into um, into the talks of MVP might be uh, might be Brock Purdy. Is, oh. is that crazy to say? That's out of, yeah, that's out of left field. I was thinking um, before you drop your your say. That's a crazy one because when you said yeah. out of left field and far out, I was thinking of somebody else. But yeah, Brock Purdy was not even on my radar yeah. for MVP. But Allow now that explain. you said that, Allow me yeah, to explain. Go ahead. This team can arguably they they should beat every team that they play this year i mean just the, besides the eagles besides the cowboys and, and whoever uh-huh. else they play they should beat everybody because they're so talented across the field and you're looking at brock purdy um i was re-watching the game uh, i believe it was yesterday i was watching the condensed version of the game and he he passes the eye test this is a guy that doesn't get rattled he stays very relaxed under pressure he can make just about every single throw that there is and he's really good at extending the plays and and being dynamic and improvising now 
He has weapons all around him. So out of all the skill guys that are going to benefit from the San Francisco offense, you know, one week it might be Debo. One week it might be Brandon Ayuk, who had two touchdowns this this past weekend. You know, Christian McCaffrey is going to get his. And don't can't forget about George Kittle either. So when you have all these guys surrounding you where you could just dump it down to one guy and they might take it to the house 60 yards, he's going to get stats. And mm-hmm. I think if the 49ers can put together a, a successful season, if he can put up the stats and, and have good completion percentage and maybe even win some games for these guys with some, some last-minute drives and things, like if he can go out there and win some games for them, it might be a little hard to deny Brock Purdy of being MVP. I like that pick. I mean, my I have a Theo. Uh, he's a 49ers fan. He's going to love that one. But, you know, mystery relevant, going from mystery relevant to NFL MVP. I mean, that, that's a big story. I know. Yeah. And, you know, the he, headline, he balled out at Iowa State as well. Like, people might forget yeah, that he, he was Mr. Irrelevant his senior year. But the year before that, he was projected to go maybe in the first or second round. The, oh, yeah, he, he was good there. It was the that COVID year. I think it was in 2020. He had a fantastic year. Um, Iowa State went to a pretty big bowl game, which I'll, I'll look that up after after the podcast. But they have a pretty good season that year. Comes back, and it, it just didn't look as good. And his draft stock just fell. But people forget he he's a good quarterback. So I think – Yeah, he, he had Iowa State relevant for a few years. That was a couple of years back, but they were actually you know pretty – competitive in the big 12 and competing for like big 12 championships. And now, you know, Iowa state isn't at that same level, but definitely I remember him at Iowa state and you didn't really, you know, but you're not surrounded by that kind of talent at Iowa state. Right. Um, so here with the 49ers, he has everything at his disposal, great offensive line, great defense to feed off of. Cause you know, football is very complimentary and you feed off of your defense, but you know, he can, you know, yeah. dump it down to McCaffrey, like you said, on a five-yard screen that could turn into a 60-yard touchdown. Uh, and he has that kind of capability. So there's right. going to be a lot of, you know, stats for Brock Purdy out there. And the good thing, he's composed. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, we saw that his rookie year. So that touchdown to interception ratio is going to be pretty nice for him as long as he stays doing what he's been doing. I think, I think so. that's that's a great pick. That's an interesting pick. And I, I could see it playing out, you know, especially if the 49ers end up with the number one seed in the NFC and they're riding him to this, if they can, you know, make a Super Bowl run, you'll see a lot of people jumping on the Brock Purdy MVP train for sure. Yeah. All I'm saying is if the 49ers go 15 and two or better and he throws for 35, 4,000 yards and maybe 30 touchdowns, he's MVP. You got to give it to him. Yeah. My Theo's going to be grinning. He was watching our podcast uh couple nights ago when he when he hears this one for sure (laughs) (laughs) and your other you said you had another one i did this is kind of an honorable mention because it is a little far-fetched because like let's be honest defensive guys just don't win mvp but i was also going to throw in michael parsons in there because yeah he looks like he's a man on a mission right now um i see videos of him talking about how he just feels disrespected it's just he looks hungry you know what i mean yeah and just from looking at the first game, it doesn't look like there's an offensive lineman that's going to be able to stop him. So if he goes he's in, so fast off of that so edge, fast, so strong, so quick, he just gets going. And I think if he can go and maybe break the sack record and put together some some tackles, I think he can also be a sleeper for MVP, which would be kind and of that's fun. That's the to tough. That's the tough thing about defensive players is like their stats. There's only 
so many amount of stats they get. Like obviously breaking the the sack record is something for them to get noticed by, or you know, causing multiple turnovers. But he affects the game in so many different ways than just the stat sheet. I mean, you know, he's causing so much disruption just from we saw on Sunday night, like on every single play. And if he isn't, you know, he's taking a lot of people with him. Where you know Demarcus Lawrence or you know, they got some guys on the edge at Dallas who can really put some pressure on it. But when you have that type of speed, I mean, you can cause a lot of disruption. And people, there's not really any stats on defense to account for that. Now they got you know the quarterback hurries and pressures, but when it comes to MVP talks, it's just so hard, you know, for defensive players to get on that radar. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's going to take for him to have like an out of world season to mm-hmm. get MVP. But I think he has the skill set to, to do so. So, it's- And I think also we've gotten to the point where we've, I'm not disrespecting Aaron Donald whatsoever at all, but you know, he was the dominant defensive player for so many years at the last four or five years. And we're kind of moving on to the passing of the torch where I think you know, people like Nick Bosa, we saw him get that contract. And then, you know, Micah Parsons, those are going to be the next guys who are going to be the faces of, you know, def- the NFL, the de- defensive, you know, face of the NFL. Yeah. And I think this is, could be Micah, because Micah Parsons, I mean, the last two years, he's been a dog. Like, let's yeah. just be honest. And I don't think he's gotten a lot of the respect because they gave it, he's been runner up for defensive player of the year, I think two years in a row. Yeah, and you know there could be some arguments to be made where he should have won that. You know, well, the last one year, year TJ did tie the the season sack record, so I think that yeah. that one year for sure. But he also just made the switch to being fully on the on the line now. He was also yeah. moving from outside linebacker to DN. Now he's totally focusing on DN, and I think that's also gonna gonna help him a lot as well. Yeah. Well, that those are those are two really good MVP picks. Honestly, I was thrown off the left field. I thought Art, we were gonna have the same one. I have one guy, and you know you can relate to this because this is also one that you probably don't see. No, he's uh, a wide receiver's never won the MVP, and I'm gonna just go out on a limb here. And he called this shot, so you know that he's feeling really confident. And when somebody's on a mission, they manifest things. Uh, they start playing even crazier. And I'm gonna go with Tyreek Hill, Cheetah, okay. uh, MVP. First 2,000-yard receiver, he called it, and he looked every part of what he said that he would do on Sunday. I mean, putting up 215 yards and two touchdowns. And, I mean, we're used to seeing Tyreek Hill do crazy things, and you wonder how long he can keep it up. But now he's in a second year with Tua. I mean, that system, he's got, you know, his his, uh, Robin to his Batman with Jalen Waddle, so they can't – you know, they can put two guys on them, but they got to be mindful of another game breaker on the other side. So it does give you a little bit more cushion on Tyreek Hill's part. And with someone who has that flat out speed and not only that, but he just has a knack for making plays. I mean, all the way back to the crazy stuff he did, you know, on punt return with, you know, Kansas City. And then that one play against the Cowboys where there was like 10 seconds before the half yeah. and they were, they threw that like, little crossing round he took it like 40 yards like he's the only player in the nfl that could have probably done that and i could see him you know putting up monster games where he's you know multiple 200 yard games in a season and the difference between him and like jefferson is what i've seen is jefferson's gonna get you that that yak those those catches but i think jefferson had like seven or eight touchdowns last year you know tyree can clear 10 touchdowns and he's done it multiple times in his career if he gets 2k and let's say, you know, 12 to 15 touchdowns, you can start, you know, 
seeing him get in that conversation for MVP where you can't dismiss, you know, all the, you know, stats and play makes the plays that he makes, you know? Absolutely. And, and funny enough, I had three people written down and I had Tyreek Hill with the star next to it as my third guy, <laughs> just because you're, you're exactly right. I think he's the one guy in the NFL that is just a, a, a walking big play. I, I remember last year when he picked up a fumble and took it 50 yards to the house as well. Yeah. And he's so fast. And I feel like he's, he, he's kind of like Barry Sanders in, in a yeah. way where people just can't touch him when he has the football and he's just fun to watch. I think what's going to benefit Tyreek Hill a lot is that Miami is going to be in some close games. I think maybe every weekend to be honest yeah. with you. So two was going to be slinging the rock. He's he called, he did call his shot. He said he's going to go for 2000 yards receiving this year. And if he Let's does, see, yeah. I, I think it's a good start for sure. I think it's, you can't deny it for sure. Yeah, if he's the first receiver to go over two thousand yards, I mean, you gotta put him up there. And then, just to go off that point, like you said, I mean, usually we talk about defensive players when it comes to instincts. Usually, you'll talk about like a safety or a cornerback. They have great instincts, but he's the same way on the offensive side. Like he just has a knack for being around the ball, knowing how to make a, a play when it doesn't seem like the play is there to be made. I've seen this guy, you know, go up on a ladder climbing that vertical and he's only i think he's like five nine right yeah and he'll go up there and high point the ball over you know cornerbacks who are you know six foot just he just has those instincts to get the ball you know like you said to go out and get it when he has to high point it or just knowing where the ball is at all times and that's a big part of you know being a playmaker in the nfl because there's a lot of great players in the nfl but then there's those people that are just above the rest, you know, Micah Parsons, uh, Tyreek Hill for one. And I think he, he, he is one of those players that just separates himself from the field. Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's just different. Like it's just a guy, you can't really explain much, but when you just look at him, he, he just looks different. And there's only a yeah. few guys that, that you could really say about that. So, I, and you know, and you know this, I mean, we're receivers, Bogan, like how would that feel to see a wide receiver, you know, scoring, and being the NFL MVP, I mean, that's the flashy prima donna position. But, yeah, I think it's about time in, in this, you know, today's NFL yeah. offense is that, you know, somebody wins it for the receivers out there. I think I think we got to bring it home for the receivers one day, <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. And he definitely has – he has to have, he has to put up some crazy stats. He has mm-hmm. to. But I, I think it's definitely a possibility. All right. Well, that was our – early MVP picks, uh, obviously, like I said, week one. So we'll see how that differs over time. But I think we were thinking outside of the box there for sure with those three picks. I love it. I love it. I think those are some great picks. And um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back with some some more football. All right, and welcome back to the Skillet. We're back here going to talk about some college football coming up this Saturday. We we, we did pretty good in our predictions last yeah. week. Um, you know, I, I had predicted Ole Miss and Tulane to be a pretty close game. I don't yeah. think the score reflected how close of a game that really was. But I think a backup quarterback over at Tulane just, you know, it, it gets tough, especially when you're putting him in that situation to go win the game. Uh-huh. Um, and I also talked about Northwestern and, and UTEP as well. 
that, that was one wasn't as close game. as we thought. <laughs> no, if you looked at the first half, and I know a lot of people probably weren't watching this game, but I was watching. <laughs> and dude, UTEP was was dicing them up early. Really early, they were dicing them up, and then the second half, I think the the score was like ten to seven going into halftime. Northwestern came out at halftime, just decided we're bigger and, and we're more physical than you, and they just ran the ball down UTEP's throat. Mm-hmm. But um, the, that game was actually a lot closer than we thought. But you, my friend. You had a pretty pretty good prediction of last week. You want to want to talk about that Wisconsin game? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to you before the podcast. I don't think we recorded it, but I did call it where Washington State was going to upset Wisconsin. I just thought, you know, the contrast in styles was going to really cause Wisconsin a lot of problems. I know everybody was talking about how, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator and they were going to come in and change their offensive scheme, but you know, they like to stay on the ground. They were they they stayed on there and Washington State they're more of that air raid from Mike Leach. And I knew that they, they have a good quarterback out there. I knew that that was going to cause a lot of problems. So they were able to to pull out that upset. And now Washington State is in the top 25 of the AP poll. And then yeah. obviously uh, I knew Ab State. I was pulling for Ab State, honestly. I love Drake May. I like UNC, but I also like a good upset in week two. And Ab yes. State took you know North Carolina all the way to double overtime. Yeah. And then uh, the last one was the – you know Mario Cristobal, Miami, uh, Miami Hurricanes versus the Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, and Miami really surprised me because I honestly thought it was going to be a competitive game, but I didn't think that they were going to be able to pull it out, especially against a team like Texas A&M with all those five-star recruits that they have been stacking up over the last few years. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher in the SEC, and they came out and really put it on them early. I mean, early it was it was you know back and forth, but in, in the second half they really took control of that game. And that quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, he's a real deal, man. Uh, he he can sling it around, and he has some weapons out there for him for sure. Yeah, and I think Jimbo Fisher, it's it's there's a lot of pressure on him right now, especially yeah. this this might be a make it or break it year for him, especially because of all the talent that he's been able to bring in. Just they haven't been able to perform, and I yeah. know that's a tough tough uh, school with some very high expectations. You mm-hmm. know, they want to be competing for national championships every single year, and losing three or four games a year just isn't going to cut it. So I think. Jimbo Fisher is definitely on the hot seat right now. Yeah, and I've been hearing, you know, some rumors and seeing some reports that, you know, if he doesn't come through this year, at least, I mean, I don't know what they're seeing as success there, but at least a 10-win season uh, or more that he could be out of there just because of so much. I mean, he brings so much to your recruiting that he's going to bring in the talent, but it's one thing to recruit these guys, and it's another thing to develop them, and we just haven't seen that from A&M. And then another thing that's going to add pressure to A&M is their – in-state rival Texas is is coming to the SEC yeah. next year, and they made a resounding statement this week with their win over Alabama, showing everyone in the country that you know they're ready to play with the big boys in the SEC. And when you got another Texas team, especially a team that you is a rival coming into your conference, that's going to put pressure in itself on you. So A and M has a lot that's riding. Jimbo Fisher has to kind of clean up what's going on but I mean let's not take anything away from Miami too because we were talking about this on our last podcast where you know they're kind of in the same boat as Texas that cliche are they back can they get back to that old swagger and you know they really looked good you know this last week over Texas A&M and there was a lot of hope man in their eyes and Van Dyke they got a quarterback he's been there you know 
multiple year starter. It seems like things are starting to click down south for them. Yeah, and I think having Miami as a competitive team is, is definitely always fun. I remember I, I was watching mm-hmm. ESPN and uh, Crystal Ball was giving the team a speech right before the game, and I texted you, yeah, Texas yeah. A&M by fifty because <laughs> yeah, I just like, I, I lost I, I all even... hope. <laughs> but they like it, it just didn't look good in, in my opinion. But they they definitely surprised me, and I think honestly, I'm not not to take away anything from Miami, but I just think Texas A and M isn't able to put together all their talent and they're just mm-hmm. not a very good football team. That, yeah. I'm not, I'm saying that lightly because they're still probably going to win eight games, seven yeah. to eight games this year, but at the caliber that they want to play they're uh-huh. they're not there yet. And for Texas, oh, I, yeah. you know, me and you are, we're, we're Texas fans. You know, yeah. I, 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 I was ecstatic to see them beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. It was amazing, but I feel like this was expected. We we should be beating teams at this level, right? That's yeah. kind of the that's kind of the 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 expectations that us as Longhorn fans hold for our teams. Yeah. My my biggest fear is that we're gonna go in and play yeah. a team like Texas Tech or Baylor or Kansas State or Wyoming this week, <laughs> and we're gonna slip up because we always play to our competition. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's my biggest fear. But I think and if we Texas t- can lock in. We can beat anybody in the country. And we were talking about this. I mean, Texas, for some reason, when when the big boys come to town or they have to go and match up with the top 10 team, they'll always bring their A game. I mean, even a few years back with LSU, that 2019 national championship scene that everybody, you know, crowns as one of the best ever. I mean, Texas had them all the way to the very end. And, I mean, they, they know how to show up to big games. But it is, like you said, can they be consistent? Uh, when you're, you know, consistently better than a team at all phases, because let's be honest, Texas was the better team when it came to them lining up against Alabama. And that's hard to say for any team. I know people now are hitting the panic button on Bama. And I've been seeing a lot of podcasts and people trying to write off Alabama. And I'm like, no, Alabama's a good team. They're going to go out and beat, you know, most of these teams in the SEC. I think the only team that, you know, they really have problems with ever in the regular seasons like LSU I mean Ole Miss doesn't ever show them you know anything and then maybe if they get to the SEC championship game which would be a success for them Georgia and those are literally the only two teams that ever present problems and I think it's going to be the same Alabama yeah people are asking questions about Milrow um, but I thought he did good I mean yeah he looked good he did make mistakes yeah, I think what we talked about in the in the podcast as well, they had to force him to to beat beat Texas with his arm, and that's what they forced him to do, yep. and it worked. You know, yeah. he threw some interceptions that were, were weren't the best, but you're you're exactly right. I think Alabama's gonna get it together. They're a pissed off Alabama team now, so I think they're they're gonna be a problem. They could definitely still win the SEC and yeah. and get back in the playoffs. And we're gonna get into this. We're not sure. I mean, everybody's so high on Georgia, but just like Michigan. They don't really play anybody, and they haven't played anybody, and they're not yeah. going to play anybody for a while. I mean, I don't think they have an actual, you know, big game uh, until you know a couple weeks. But we're going to get into some some yeah. thing that might present them this week. But uh, Georgia, Michigan, teams like that, we don't know how good they are. At least we can have a scale for Alabama. I mean, Texas, yeah, they've been the 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 butt of some jokes the last few years, but they're a really good team from top to bottom. One of the most stacked teams, I would put like Florida State up there with them. Florida State when it comes good. to like yeah their rosters, 
Um, Texas is right up there. They just got beat by a better team. I mean, Texas dominated the line of scrimmage on both ends. Uh, they did what they want with Quinn Ewers, and he did complete the the long ball, what we were talking about, you know, last yeah. week where he was able to connect. I think it was three or four, you know, big-time plays down the field that really just, you know, pole vaulted uh, Texas he to get that, that W. Thing, he lets that throw go, and, man, that ball hangs up in the air for so long. Yeah. I mean, we got to give some credit to those wide receivers like Xavier huh. Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. The way that they were tracking the ball in the air, that's not easy to do. It's and kind of like Russell Wilson, you know, like when Russell Wilson just throws those <laughs> rainbows up in the it's air. It's so effortless coming out of his hand, and that thing just is in the air forever, bro. It's so beautiful to watch. I will say now thinking about the game, because I did watch the game from start to finish. That was the most exciting game of the weekend for me, obviously. Uh, with Quinn Ewers, the only thing that could come to bite him in the butt, and we were talking about this when I was watching, is that sometimes he gets off balance with his throws. I mean, when he's in phase – you know, throwing from the pocket and he has his feet under him, he can deliver some really pretty balls. It's when he's, you know, trying to throw off his back foot, or I think there was a couple times where he's just throwing weird angles where his feet aren't under him. That's when, you know, the ball sails on him or, you know, he can get caught in some trouble. So as long as, you know, he doesn't get happy feet, because he has a great offensive line. I don't think he got sacked against Alabama once. That was a big part of the game there. And, you know, Texas had five sacks on Milrow. If he just stays back there and you know, doesn't move his feet too much. He can he can deliver any throw uh, on the field for sure. I, I hope so, man. I think it's it's going to be close between them. Um, someone between Michigan State or Ohio State's probably going to get into the playoff. Florida State looks pretty good out of the ACC. Um, yeah, they still got to play Miami. They still got to play Duke, but they're, they're looking pretty promising. But that that's kind of transitions into our, our games coming up this weekend. I feel. This weekend, um, you know, you and I were talking about it. It's, it's not really the best matchups for for college football this year. And another week, in a, uh, another week in a row. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> and it, it kind of just seems like a lot of these major programs are are ducking each other. Which, it, yeah. it's, as a fan, I'm like, we want to see the best against the best. Like, why doesn't the ACC go out and play? You know, the Big Ten or the Big Ten yeah. go out and play the SEC, the Pac-12. But you know I know you that. were talking about it. Um, we were we were talking about that right now. Everyone's ducking each other. Yeah, and I mean, there's so with the transfer portal now. I mean, just look at the the top five. I think this is the first time uh, in the college football. Uh, I think it's since the college football rankings era, the BCS era before that, the college football playoff era, that five teams from different Power Five conferences make up the top five. So there's one team representing each conference in the top five. And that's never happened in the college football playoff era. So you can see there's a lot of parity in in college football this year. I mean, so much talent is spread out. You got Penn State, Florida State, you know, Miami's making noise, even Colorado, you know, different teams are starting to make noise. So why aren't we getting these primetime matchups, especially early on, you know, in college football to, to set the tone for the season? You've got Georgia, not really playing anybody. Michigan with eight home games. I mean, we want to see those teams right. test each other early. And I think it is just those like big schools because like at Michigan, 
doesn't play anybody till I think what was week six. Yeah. Um, Georgia really doesn't play anybody. Um, but other teams like Texas, Alabama, you know, they create a matchup that's going to be, that's going to yeah. have implications for the playoffs down the road as well. I mean, Florida State and LSU, they played each other two years in a row, which also is going to have some implications on, on the playoffs. So there are some yeah. small schools, but it's typically those schools that are trying to prove something that are really trying to take that next step. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. the, the big dogs, the Ohio States, the Michigan, mm-hmm. the Georgia, Georgia's schedule this year is just a patty cake schedule. I mean, yeah. they're a good football team. It's laughable, but, honestly. But what happens when you do run into those big dogs? Like when you do have to play Tennessee, coming up or when you do have to play alabama down the road like and another thing though another thing that people don't talk about is when they have their big time matchups like let's say michigan for instance they don't play anybody till probably like penn state late in the year and ohio state at the very last game but their teams are a lot more fresh than a battle-tested team who you know has had to go through a grueling schedule dealing with injuries because they're going through some hard-hitting games i mean michigan is going to come out unscathed until probably like week six, seven, six or seven, because they're only playing until about halftime in most of these games. So it's it's an advantage. I think now, you know, just think, talking about it, maybe it'll change when the playoff expands to 12 teams next year. You know, people right. are just so, you know, they're trying to get into this four-team spot. So if they lose a game, they feel like it could cost them yeah. a playoff spot. But and that's, I mean, what that's it why is. it's the best of the best. You can't if you lose the game, you're out of the playoff. And I think that's yeah. why they those teams do that. But I don't think it's the right way to go. You know, if, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. You got to take yeah. out the big dogs too. It's kind of like the in the UFC. The reason why the UFC is so popular is because some guy becomes champion, and the next best guy is trying to take his belt. Yeah, you know, and and it's and, just best on best. And look what a win can do to your program. I mean, to go back to Texas, they were ranked all the way at 11, and some people were saying they were too too high at the beginning of the year. And they beat Alabama, and I saw they got number one votes this year. I mean, they're all the way to number four, but I've seen people have them ranked as high as two or three, and that's yeah. what a big-time win will do for your program. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. But that that's a good transition to this week's games. I know we were we were talking about this these this week's matchups aren't the best, but we do have a few games that we think a lot of people should be keeping an eye on. And I'll, I'll go ahead and and give my two picks first. Um, first game that I'm really excited to watch, and some people might think that this game's going to be a blowout, but I'm I'm really excited to watch what Spencer Rattler and the yeah. Gamecocks can do going into Athens at Georgia. Um, Look, I, I I saw the game against North Carolina where, to, to be completely honest with you, North Carolina kind of rolled South Carolina. I don't think they really had any trouble uh, winning yeah. that football game. And then I did watch the game against Furman last week where South Carolina, they they do have some holes, but when they're, when they're moving, they have an offense that can be very explosive. Now, the current line is sitting at minus 27 and a half. So people are predicting that George is going to win this game by four touchdowns, but I do believe that they'll win this game, but I think it'll be a lot closer than people expect. Um, Georgia hasn't really been tested this year. I mean, they're coming off a, a big win against ball state last week, but when I turned on the tape for that <laughs> game, um, Carson Beck, Look, he's a he's a really high recruited player. I think he's a great quarterback, but he definitely takes some time to get into rhythm. Even against a Ball State team that's not nearly as athletic as them, 
they he took some time he, some of his throws weren't the most accurate is what i'll say but yeah comes in the second half once they get the ball once they start running the ball efficiently that's when he starts to to tear people apart i think the problem coming into this game south carolina is going to be the first really athletic team that they face all year and if south carolina can cause some pressure and make carson beck a little bit uncomfortable I think the game will be a lot closer than a lot of people think. I, yeah. I still think Georgia will have the edge maybe by maybe 10, 14 points. But I, I think Spencer Rattler is going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. He wants to show people why he was probably the number one quarterback coming out of high school. And I think this game could be uh, be some trouble for Georgia. What do you think? Yeah, and, and this will actually be, I mean, at the very least, we'll at least get a better measuring stick of how good Georgia is. Because, like, you know, we were talking about it. People are over here. I know they're going for their third championship in a row, which is unprecedented. And not a lot of teams have done that. But people are over here talking about Georgia like, you know, they're better than last year or the year before. And I don't think so. I, I don't I think, think so. You know, you know, their defense is obviously stout. They got Brock Bowers. You know, people are really high on him. And he, he's a great player. But we haven't seen, you know, their quarterback really, you know, answer a lot of questions. And they're going to play another SEC team that has a a veteran quarterback who who can go out there and sling it. So now we're going to get to see, you know, is Georgia's defense uh, up to par? Or can they put pressure on good quarterbacks? Because as we were talking about, especially like in the Pac-12 or in the Big 12 and different conferences, there's a lot of good quarterback play. And if you can't pressure the quarterback, you know, like Georgia – um, has done in, in past years, I mean, you might have trouble when you go up against these, you know, bigger teams who have a Caleb Williams, who have a Quinn Ewers or a Drake May. So this will be a good test to see if their defense is as real as people are making them out to be because people are just slating them to be as good as they've been the last few years on the defensive right. side. And so I, I kind of want to see where they stack up to those previous years, Georgia teams. Yeah, I mean, they, they proved a lot last year, but I mean, a lot of those guys are in the NFL now, so they got some new faces down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't doubt that some of the five-star guys that they have coming up, I mean, obviously, they these guys were practicing behind the Nicobe Deans, the, the Jordan yeah. Davises, all those guys. So I, I don't doubt that they're good. I just think that this is going to be their first real test. Uh-huh. Um and then for my second game, we're going to stick to the SEC play. We're going to look at LSU at Mississippi State, which I'm going to go ahead and put LSU on an upset alert. And I think Mississippi State's Ooh, a really okay. good football team. You know, they got the air raid going on. They're also starting to run the football more efficiently as well. And I think LSU has a ton of pressure on their team now because they basically have to be perfect the rest of the year. If they want to get to the playoffs, what which were where the goals coming into this season as well. Yeah. So I think this is kind of a trap game for LSU. They didn't play good against Florida State. They beat the brakes off of an HBCU uh, Grambling <laughs> team. So I think Mississippi State can give the, this team a lot of problems um, on Saturday. Yeah. Is that one in Starkville or is it in um, in Death Valley? It's in Starkville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because usually I would say. In Death Valley, it's tough. I, I think people are kind of low on LSU, obviously, after that loss of Florida State. You know, I watched the entire game, and this first half, both teams looked equally matched. They're like total yards, their touchdowns, their time of possession was like equal. I think it just came down to the end. There was a turnover that Jaden Daniels had in the third quarter, and it just started, you know, you know, spiraling out of control from there. But I think LSU will be will be good again too. I don't think 
they're as good as an Alabama in the in the West, but I think they can they can you know take care of Mississippi State. But that's that's an interesting matchup for sure because a lot of people I've been seeing have been hitting the panic button on LSU, and you know all that noise can get to to a program who had you know lofty expectations like they did at the beginning of the season where people were picking them to be in the playoff and in the running for a national championship. So this is definitely something to see. Are they going to you know kind of calm the ship? Or are they going to, you know, go deeper into the storm this year? So I'll be definitely looking at this matchup. And I'm going to go with LSU on this one, though. I think LSU can still pull it out here. Um, okay. Probably by, like, you, you know, I'd, I'd, what's the spread? Do you know the spread on this one? Um, I did not write it down. No, let's see. Nah. Because I, I think they might even cover the spread if it's not too much here. But either way, you know, I got LSU on, on that game for sure. Um yeah, I'm just looking at Will Rogers. He's a veteran quarterback. He he's a very good quarterback, which I think can also be a sleeper yeah. in, in this coming draft, which we, we could talk about how stacked this this coming draft will be for quarterback. But I think if he gets huh. going, yeah, um, a lot of good quarterbacks. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, but Will Rogers is gonna have a lot to do with it. It looks like LSU are nine point favorites, so minus nine. Nine point favorites. But, I think that's exactly where I'd get them to cover the spread, like at ten, winning by like ten there so i know it's in starkville this should be an interesting matchup for sure if it was in death valley i'd definitely be pulling you know lsu's way for sure uh on more of that but yeah on, on my end here i got i got two matchups uh that i think are pretty interesting here one being uh, washington versus michigan state uh, obviously washington they're ranked pretty high for the first time in a while they got michael one of those great quarterbacks we were talking about michael Penix, and everybody's raving about him um, last year, this game was was really close. I think Washington, you know, won 39-28. But uh, another reason why I have this one on my radar is just kind of like I like to dive into kind of the backstory to things. And Michigan State obviously dealing with, you know, uh, their coaching situation where uh, their coach is, is not going to be there anymore. So uh, uh, Mel Tucker uh, is going to be suspended. And uh, uh, they're hiring Mark Dantino again to kind of pivot, you know, back to the way Michigan State was of old. And I just want to see how they kind of rally around that yeah. with Mel Tucker not being able to to go for them as a coach. I mean, that'll rock a team, you know, having to switch coaches in the middle of the season like that, especially so early. And then you got a top 10 team strolling into town to to take you on. So that, that's why I'm more of that one for the storylines. And I think, you know, Michigan State's always a good team. So, you know, how for real is this Washington and what's going to be, you know, people have been talking high on them all year. What's going to be their pecking order when it comes to the Pac-12? Like, are they a top Pac-12 team who's going to compete with, like, Oregon, Utah, and USC? Or are they going to just kind of fizzle out as the season goes? Because they're really offensive-minded over there. Yeah, no, I think that's a tough matchup. And I didn't really know about that at, at Michigan State as well. I think that's that's definitely going to play a factor, especially the – the culture that that coach has, has instilled and he's been at Michigan state for, for such a long time. So it, it was definitely his program. So I think it, that's definitely a lot to take in as a coach, as a, as a team. And then if this coach can really motivate these guys and have these guys buy in to still have a successful season, it's, it's a lot. So, I mean, looking at that, I, I think Washington should have the edge. Are, are they playing in at Michigan state? I believe so. I think this one is in Michigan State. Yeah, they're at Michigan State. Last year they're at Washington, and Washington's uh, edged it out by 11 points. But, you know, going up there 
Uh, it's Michigan State. They got a tough crowd, yeah, so yeah. they're going to be playing with the cold chip on their shoulder. They're it's going to be a big game. They got a top ten opponent coming into their stadium, so they're definitely going to be up. They definitely have a, a point to prove. Um, Washington better be ready for this game. Yeah, and then the other game that I had, and this is a shout out to one of uh, uh one of my my friends and list uh, listeners. So uh, Kobe Kobe Biddle, he put me on. He's a big Florida Gators fan, and he was asking what I thought about this week's mass matchup with, you know, the Florida Gators and Tennessee Vols. Cause down South in the sec, when these matchups, you know, start coming out early season, you get to see, you know, who's for real and who's for not. And, you know, he was giving me all these stats. So I told him, you know, give me a second, let me do the research on it and, and, you know, go watch the tape on both teams. And, you know, to be honest, Kobe, I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say when it comes to, you know, my prediction and thoughts on this game, but I, it's going to be in the swamp, so you know to to land softly here. That's always a tough place to play for anybody, especially a Tennessee team coming into to the swamp. And the only thing that I see here is, you know, they got they got Milton at quarterback. He he's a little bit more uh, comfortable in that offense with Tennessee and with Florida. Mertz is still getting the hang of it. We saw Week One against Utah. They kind of got. And it's it's hard to say when an SET, uh, SEC team goes and plays like a Pac-12 team that they got physically dominated, but Florida got physically dominated in that game against Utah. Yeah. I watched that week one; it was the first game of the season, and uh, you know Utah was running the ball. They didn't even have you know Cam Redding. Obviously, he's still injured, but uh, you know they were able to do what they wanted in the run game. And usually, you'll see an SEC team be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. But it seemed like Utah was, you know, pushing the piles. They were able to get, you know, more push at the point of attack most of the time in that game. And uh, I know they were at home, but they looked like the more physical team. And some stats that I'm looking at here is Tennessee, you know, we're used to seeing them last year with Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt, you know, airing it all over the field. But te- Tennessee this year actually is more of a ground attack team. They They actually have more rushing yards per game than passing yards per game. And uh, I think that might cause some issues for Florida from what we've seen from their defensive front in week one. And then also uh, a big stat on defense for Tennessee is they've been able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So I'm telling you, Kobe, I really did my research on this one. Um, uh, Tennessee had 25 tackles for losses in their first two games and 11 sacks in just two games, in 10 10 sacks, sorry, in, in the last two games. Um, so they're, they're really getting after the quarterback. Is Mertz going to be able to handle himself? I think the one gleaming thing for Florida to, to lean on this game is going to be their run game, you know, with ETN in the backfield to try and, you know, come and control and set the tone early. You don't want to have to go and see Tennessee go up on you 14-0, 17-0. That can spill disaster. So if they can control the line of scrimmage and start running the ball earlier, I think Florida, you know, might have a chance and their best chance is to keep the game close and ride, you know, their running game and that crowd because you know how they can get crazy in the swamp. If we're in the fourth quarter and this game's like, you know, 17 to 14, that's their best shot. But I'm going to take Tennessee taking this one in a close game. If I had to put a prediction on it, I'd go 21 to 17 and a heartbreaker for Tennessee to take that one. Okay. So you're you're thinking it's going to be close. So if, if that's the score, then, then Florida actually cover the spread. They're currently predicted Mm -hmm. to lose by six and a half right now. So about a touchdown is what people are going to 
yeah. predicted the I think it'll be close. Um, but t- Tennessee's not pretty either. Like people are high on Tennessee, but I don't think they're the 11th ranked team in the nation right now either. You know, no. Milton hasn't ex- had those expectations lived up to him since Hendon Hooker left. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think you're you're right in that fact that Tennessee definitely has some some more potential. They're definitely not world beaters yet, but they're definitely a good football team, and they definitely look a lot better than the Florida Gators right now. And I'm, I'm sorry to your your friend Kobe. It <laughs> it pains me to say this because I actually was looking forward to seeing what Florida could do, and I thought that they could actually have make some noise in, in the SEC. But the, I'm looking when I was watching Utah, and I'm not even going to talk about the game last week against McNeese State because. That, that really doesn't matter. When I looked at that team against Utah, let alone it was week one, but they were just a undisciplined, sloppy football team. And in the SEC, that, that's not going to get it done. I mean, I, I saw a team that was committing turnovers, making stupid penalties, and then they just got punched yeah. in the face and Utah got rolling and there was nothing else that they could do. So I'm looking at this Tennessee football team. I think that they're going to be a little bit more athletic than Utah was. I think the offense is very um, high-powered, very electric offense that can score a lot of points. And I think if Florida cannot play clean, disciplined football, they're going to have a really hard time with the Volunteers. And by week three, you got to clean that stuff up. I mean, week one, we give people the pass, but you've gotten two games under your belt. You're able to kind of get back to see what you're able to do. I mean, if if Florida comes out playing that way and, you know, getting into some penalties or some just undisciplined play, especially on the offensive line, because I think Florida's going to go as far as Graham Mertz takes them. I mean, they got him from Wisconsin to come and, you know, take the reins for this Florida Gators team. And uh, they need they have playmakers on the offensive side too, uh, the Gators do. So if they can lean on Graham Mertz to make some big plays and not make, you know, mistakes then you know they're gonna they can control the game and stay in it but overall i do think like you said tennessee has a little bit more firepower uh milton has more experience in his system so uh let's see that place should be rocking though on on it's a 5 p.m game on espn and we'll see how the swamp is going to be behind their guys and if it's going to turn into a nail biter because usually those early sec sec matchups uh weird things happen in the sec especially when you're playing in an opponent's home stadium in somewhere like the swamp it is it's a i think for this game's gonna be personal for for both these teams so i'm I'm excited to watch sec football is is kicking off and this is going to be the last year um that we're going to have the original sec before everything changes so it's gonna it's gonna be really fun to watch a lot of things are going to be changing the last year for the pac 12 too it's gonna be crazy i know Lots to look forward to. We're going to go ahead and transition into the NFL coming up, so stay tuned. Before we wrap up this episode, we want to extend a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you who tuned in today. Your passion for football is what makes this podcast so special. So remember, the beautiful game never stops, and neither do we. So don't forget to subscribe, share, and keep this conversation alive across all social media. So until next time, we hope your team wins this weekend. Stay tuned, stay passionate. And we'll be back next week.